1: Welcome to the Viking Age podcast. It's the official podcast of the VikingAge.com. My name is Chris Shad. I write for the Viking Age as well as zone coverage and bring me the news and as well as the Brookings Register. We do this every Monday and Thursday right here on the Viking Age YouTube channel. But however you consume us, don't forget to rate, comment, like, and subscribe so you never miss a new episode. As always, it's later in the week, so Adam is not here. And we found a great guest. He is the host. Of the LA football podcast. He is the CEO of the LAFB Network, and he is the perfect guest in more ways than one today because of everything that is going on uh with the Vikings and the West Coast. His name is Ryan Dirude. Uh, Ryan, welcome to the show. What's up, Chris? Thanks, brother, for having
2: me. Excited to uh talk about two oh and two teams, but hey, it's gonna be a great game regardless, and we should have some fun. So thanks for having me on.
1: It's hilarious too coming into the game because uh, the Chargers are 0-2 and I saw the ESPN rankings and I think they're like 11th or 12th in the power rankings and the Vikings are 0-2 in the 29th. So apparently uh, one team is one team is markedly better than the other, but we're about to find out, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, I'm I'm a bit I wouldn't say I'm a fan, but I I have a lot of respect for the Vikings and I I don't know how they would have them 29th. I mean, they were in both those games till the very end. So um, and they have. Yeah. Both teams are kind of reeling in the right in the same way, though. So we'll see if they can get it corrected.
1: So let's talk about some of the things coming into the game, because this is basically um, you could argue it's desperation week for both teams, but especially the Vikings, because on Monday, before we go on the air, they saw it signed Dalton Reisner on Wednesday. They trade for Cam Akers. Uh, they trade for Akers on Wednesday night. The Vikings will swap picks with the Rams in the 2026 NFL draft uh the Vikings basically turned their 6th in that draft into a 7th rounder Akers, a second-round pick of the Rams in 2020. He ran for 625 yards and two touchdowns in his rookie year. towards Achilles, but he returned in time for the Super Bowl. following year, he ran for 786 yards and seven touchdowns, but he left the team for three games in the middle of the season. And the Rams tried to trade him, but they could not. This year, in the opener, he ran for 29 yards on 22 carries, which, if you're not good at math, not a great game, but he did have a touchdown for you fantasy people out there, so that's a mm-hmm. good thing. Uh, then he was deactivated for the best interest of the team in week two, according to Sean McVay and the Rams found a team desperate enough to trade for him because the Vikings have 69 rushing yards through two games. Um, Ryan, my first question for you, seeing as you're out on the West coast, what's going on with Cam Akers and do you think he can fix the Vikings running game?
2: You know, it's a, it's a great question. And I don't, I don't know if I have the. Enough evidence to say he can fix the Vikings rushing game, but I, I do believe he can definitely add a dimension to it and add um, some versatility and add some explosion to it. You know, he's still a very talented player. For whatever reason, he just didn't really fit in this Rams call it culture. Not because he's a bad dude, not because he was a camp in the locker room, anything like that, but just didn't totally buy into what Sean McVay wanted from his running back room. You see a Kyron Williams who is saying all the right things just this week comes out and says, Hey, whatever head coach Sean McVay, if he wants me to block, if he wants me to catch, if he wants me to run, that's what I love about being a running back in this offense. And it seemed like not saying Cam Akers didn't do that, but that was kind of the, the vibe we got from the staff is that he wasn't fully bought into that. Now, that being said, it feels like, and this is why we actually predicted on our Rams show on Monday that they would trade him to the Vikings because Kevin O'Connell being the head coach, and it it feels like Cam Akers was Kevin O'Connell's guy. I mean, he was in that draft room in 2020 when they drafted him in the second round. Um, as the OC with the Rams, and and so when he left last year to become the head coach of the Vikings, that's when Cam Akers kind of fell out of favor with the Rams coaching staff. So this is all this is not like I don't have sources on this; it's just my opinion. But it seems like the the connections are definitely there. That you know that there's there was more of a strong tie to Kevin O'Connell than there was to um, Sean McVay. So if anyone can kind of bring his career back, it's going to be with Coach O'Connell in, in Minnesota, and I think he'll certainly help in the running game. I'm, I'm not going to say save your guys' running
1: game, but I think he can help. And I think at this point, I mean, you're not adding saviors in week two, right? I think the Vikings so far in the Quasi Adolfo Mensa era, they look at their team, they assess it, and then they make moves. Last year, they went ahead. They said, hey, Adam Thielen's not getting it done. Let's go trade for TJ Hawkinson and it turned out to be a great move. Now, the bar is very high because of that trade, because Hawkinson now He's got the long-term contract. He's the highest paid t- tight end in the NFL. Those are very high bars for Cam Akers to reach. But I think what the Vikings need in the running game is different than what they need in the passing game because the Vikings came into the season, they got rid at Dalvin Cook and everybody thought they put, threw a puppy in the live traffic or something. Where it's just like, why are you letting guy go this guy? This guy's awesome. Like, what? Why? And he was making $14 million. They roll with Alexander Madison, which I think everybody knows now was kind of a mistake to have him as the bell cow back. Ty Chandler didn't take a step forward. So the Vikings had to do something because their plan outside of letting Dalvin Cook go was a flop. There's some reports that they were in on David Montgomery in the offseason. They re-signed Madison, even though he has a career low in carries. They draft Wayne McBride, who was cut after the preseason, even though, you know, uh, we have a joke on this show that, you know, the Pope meme, just Isaiah Pacheco, seventh <laughs> round running back. Oh, look at him. So cheap. Didn't really happen with Dwayne McBride. And then Ty Chandler kind of fell on yep. his face. So like you said, too, like back in the draft, the Vikings were looking at quarterback and Will Levis was a name that popped up frequently because there was a Ram staffer. I can't remember his name right now, but he was working at Kentucky and he worked with Will Levis. And we said, if anybody knows more about Will Levis than anybody else, it's going to be the Vikings because Kevin O'Connell has that connection. That is what I feel with Cam Akers. And I also worry that maybe the Vikings are on the other end of Unique Ngakwe 2.0, where they trade for him beginning of the season. He produces, but he's not quite what they want. They trade him and the other team is just like, well, I mean, he's fine. He's producing, but he's not a winning player. You know, I, I think this is a multi-layered decision to trade for tra- Cam Akers. And I'm just wondering, like, how could this be different if Akers does fit in with the Vikings? Yeah, you know, I, he
2: adds that that element, I think, of explosion potentially. And, and you know, he's, he's a decent pass catcher um, out of the backfield, which I think Alexander Madison probably is as well. So, I mean, what's funny is in enough football that I've watched, they're kind of similar backs in a way. So you're not getting necessarily a a totally different style of running back that can complement Madison. But I think it just sometimes, you know, in, in football, you for player A, call him Cam Akers, you just need a change of scenery to, to revive a your career. And for player B, let's call it Alexander Madison, you need that other guy to push you to get to what was expected of you. And, and, you know, back when Dalvin cook was with you guys, you know, he was the one pushing Dalvin and that's why everyone was like, Hey, this Alexander Madison guy looks great because when he's in there, look how efficient he is. But then once he becomes the head honcho, there's no one pushing him or there's nothing he's chasing for. So now you kind of create that, that vibe again in the running back room. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, like you said, it probably can't get much worse. And it, he was done in LA. Cam Akers was so happy they they were able to each find a suitor for him. It's always fun to see these swap these pick
1: swaps two years down the line in twenty twenty six. Like, yeah, why is that even necessary? But you know, whatever. It's always fun. And then it's same with the Reisner move. I mean. I was kind of like sitting here going like, okay, you're pushing for nine wins. Like good for you guys. But at the same time, they didn't really give up too much in terms of future assets. I mean, you have $4 million in cap space this year to sign Reisner. And then you basically pick swap, you know, maybe, maybe you have another shot at getting an Isaiah Pacheco in 2026. I don't know with your second, seventh round pick. Uh, maybe you can draft a kicker. I I don't know. Uh, it's not really a significant move. And it's kind of like the Rams, Went ahead and just gave him away because, like you said, he wasn't a fit there. Um, yeah. and I like Dalton I, Reisner too, by the way. I think that's a good pickup for you guys. So, y- yeah, I, I was actually going to ask you about that quick before we moved on. Uh, Reisner, you have a little bit of uh, perspective on him as he was in the AFC West the last four years with the Denver Broncos. You know, why do you like Dal- Dalton Reisner with the Vikings?
2: So, it's funny, I, I live in LA, I, I own the LA Football Network, I cover LA, but I'm from Denver. So I'm actually a Broncos fan. Like my fanhead is the Broncos. So um when they drafted him, you know, right, right at the same draft as Drew lock and and Noah Fan, whatever, I thought that was one of our most solid draft picks. Um, I thought he, you know, he started right away pretty much and, and kind of could play that swing guard position. He's a real nasty lineman and but a, a real good team leader, uh, huge in the community. He'll get involved in Minnesota right away in the community. But I think what why he fell out of favor, not fell out of favor in Denver, but just like people kind of forgot about him, was last year. I don't even remember his name, to be honest, but the the offensive line coach for the Broncos, it was just an abysmal situation out there. The Broncos offensive line was terrible. I mean, there were stories about just like there was no coaching going on, no teaching at all. So I think he just kind of fell, fell subject to that. But if you look at his first two or three seasons, I mean, he was a real solid, solid guard being taken in the second round. So I think he's a guy that, you know, getting in the right system, getting with the right staff, and having the right guys around him, I think he can absolutely revitalize his career because he's a super talented player and a and a super hard worker. So I think it's a good fit for him.
1: Yeah, and it is interesting to see him talk with the media yesterday. Excellent quote. Like you kind of mentioned him being good in the community and everything else. You can definitely see that there is some excitement coming into Minnesota. There is an opportunity for him with Ed Ingram. Um you think he plays on Sunday because he was saying he doesn't even know which direction to go. So maybe it's another week, but do you think we see him on the field at all? Is it it just kind of, are you one of those guys who think it's a work in progress?
2: I mean, I used to think that, but then you saw last year, Baker Mayfield get off the plane and go win a game for the Rams on, uh, on prime time. So you never know, but uh, I would assume you would know more than me, but I would assume he wouldn't start, but you never know if he'll get
1: in there on, on some reps, seeing how things go, and, and maybe just get his feet wet. A couple times, that Ingram's back is on the ground like a turtle. Uh, I think he'll get in there real quick, personally. Yeah. But we'll we'll see what happens there. Let's move on to Sunday. It is basically a loser-leaves-town match between... The L.A. Chargers and the Minnesota Vikings, both teams, as we mentioned, enter the game at 0-2. The Chargers are favored by one point on the road right now. The Vikings lost to Tampa Bay and Philly by a total of nine points in their first two games. The Chargers lost to Miami and Tennessee by a total of five points. Um, The big storyline for this Chargers. We'll start there because Brandon Staley's seat is hot, like red hot. Uh, the Chargers blew a 24-point lead in the playoffs last January. Staley somehow kept his job after that. Uh, the Chargers have Chargered the first two weeks of the season, and somebody asked, well, is this a hangover from the Jacksonville game? And Brandon Staley basically lost his mind. Go look up the YouTube clip because he was not thrilled with that question. Um, entering Sunday, 0-2, is Brandon Staley's job on the line for the Chargers? I don't think yet
2: Um, this season he's definitely coaching for his job. I don't think the chargers would make that move, especially this early. Um, I personally don't think they'll make a move unless the season's lost. So unless they somehow, you know, fall to like if they're one and eight, then maybe they make a move. But um, I think they, they instilled enough confidence in him after that playoff loss to say you got to give this guy more than two games or three games um if you felt good enough after that loss like what's three losses when it's a 17 game season so but it's it's definitely red hot the vibe here in la is definitely not good the fan base is definitely ready to move on and you know i've been one of the biggest Brandon and say supporters i think he's a he's a great person he's a great i think he's a good good head coach he's obviously had some miscues early on as most rookie head coaches do um the biggest issue with him, it's not culture. I think he's built a great culture. You know, unfortunately this team still does have that chargering effect. And that was kind of what he, when he came in and hired said he wanted to get rid of and get rid of this narrative that chargers can't win close games. And, and to an extent he's done that. It's just the ones they do lose. Everyone brings that up again. I mean, they've, they had some, some great one-score wins, similar to how the Vikings had last year, and the you know the, they had a ton of injuries. Went ten and seven last year, and and a lot of one-score games, and and came up in the win column, which they w- didn't do under the Anthony Lynn uh, regime. So they they were able to correct some of those, but it just hasn't been enough with that talent to to kind of get really to that next step. But the biggest complaint and issue is you know him being such a quote unquote defensive mind and the Achilles heel of this team, specifically in twenty twenty three is that defense and giving up 36 points. To the Dolphins, albeit a great offense, you know, Vic Fangio, his his uh, mentor was the D coordinator of the Dolphins and he gave up 34 points. So, I mean, those both offenses were just lighted up. So you got to kind of tip for tap, but they weren't able to slow down Tyreek Hill whatsoever, make adjustments. And then in week two against Tennessee, you go up against a much inferior offense, and you know, you give up twenty seven points, which isn't great, but also you give up a touchdown late in that game when you kind of want to see this defense clamp things down. And the real issue is the secondary, um, which just hasn't been able to stop anyone and there's been miscommunications and and stuff like that, which, you know, who do you want to blame? That's that's up for discussion. So it's red hot. It's tough. I still think that the organization has faith in them to at least carry this out for a while. Um, but yeah, you go down 0-3. it's gonna be it's gonna be tough talking to the media out here in LA, that's for sure.
1: Like why do you why do you think uh you know, even though he has created this culture and they are an improved team, I would definitely say that from the Anthony Lynn days, you know, why do you feel like this charging narrative still exists and really gets amplified, you know, week after week?
2: I don't know. It's so hard. Like, and this is one thing I've said and I get crushed for it. Um, charger fans are I know they get this bad rap of there's not many of them or or whatever. There's a strong fan base in Chargers land, and they're a very, very passionate fan base. Uh, I would say um, probably even, well, I won't compare. I'll just say they're very passionate, but they stand by their quarterbacks no matter what. They did it back when Dan Fouts, they did it with Philip Rivers, could do no wrong. Guys throws four interceptions, it's someone else's fault. And, you know, that's great. Love, they love their quarterback. Justin Herbert's the same, can do no wrong. I love Justin Herbert. I think he's a top five quarterback. I think uh, when you look at just these simple stats, right? Like he's had like 14 fourth quarter comebacks, I believe. In these first two games, the Chargers are the first team ever to put up 50 points and be 0-2. So it's like when you look at those from the bird's eye view, he's living up to that hype. He's doing everything he has to do. They're putting up enough points. But, and this is where maybe I'm being overcritical or maybe where I'm just saying, hey, if you're going to be in that top three echelon. That $52 million per year echelon. And I said this on, uh, I don't know if you know Matthew Collar of the Purple Insider podcast. I said this to him yesterday. I was like, is Justin Herbert right now, for being real, is he closer to Kirk Cousins or closer to Patrick Mahomes? And I think right now, when you look at the trajectory of what he's done, he's done, put up phenomenal numbers. He obviously has more arm talent and physical traits than Kirk Cousins. But when you just look at the body of work, he's closer to Kirk because in both these two games, and if you want to talk about chargering, the way you get out of that is your superhuman quarterback puts the team on his back and wins the game in the biggest moments. Against the Dolphins, a minute 50 left, two timeouts, needed a field goal to win, not a touchdown, just a field goal. Down 2, couldn't get a first down. Against the Titans, they had four possessions between the end of the game and overtime. Got one field goal, punted three times. So it's those moments where yes, it's it's if we're truly saying Who's more to blame? It's the defense. But when you have this all world quarterback that everyone wants to put up on this pedestal as they should, and I said, I love Justin Herbert, but the way you get over that hump of chargering is in those big moments, he puts on the Cape and says, I got this. Don't worry about it. I'm going to make sure we're not charging. I'm going to go win this game. So in my opinion, the only way you, you get out of that narrative is he's got to take even more control, be even better than he has, which is almost unfair. But just in those moments, really,
1: really capitalize. These two teams, it's so funny to me how connected they are. Like, obviously, they're in different universes, right? AFC, NFC, West, North, etc. But, you know, even dating back to 2020 with this team and the rookie of the year debate, whether it's going to be Justin Jefferson or Justin Herbert, you know, there was a friendly rivalry there. Uh, I think the Chargers media team even had like banners hanging up like, one rookie of the year, one beat the Chargers in LA and that type of stuff. Like, you know, the fans, it's not as nasty as like Vikings Packers or like Bears Packers or anything like that. But I mean, there's like this friendly, playful feeling where they're at each other's throats because I think both teams are similar, you know, the Chargers have that thing where they play in all these close games. They do win some of the close ones, but they don't win the ones that really matter. Like the Vikings last year with Kirk Cousins, there were a couple of comebacks, like the Buffalo game where you're like, oh, here we go. And then, you know, playoffs on the line, fourth and eight, he checks down to TJ Hawkinson and we're, you know, releasing guys left and right and doing a youth movement. These two teams are very similar. And I mean, it it creates a very fun dynamic entering Sunday's game. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and we haven't even
2: got to the coaches yet who are seemingly best friends. I mean, both sat at the same table at Sean McMay's wedding. We're both in the same staff with the Rams, one OC, one DC. So, um, yeah, it's funny you say that Chris, cause I feel like in today's NFL, you still have obviously the team rivalries, as you mentioned, the Vikings and, and the Packers and the, and the chargers and the Raiders have a huge rivalry, but more so with this youth generation, it's more of like player rivalries. So You mentioned the Jefferson and and Justin Herbert, and there's a huge love right now with Herbert and Tua in Miami, and so it's funny how those those dynamics come to play. And so there is a total, an absolute kind of linear synergy between the Vikings and not just the Chargers, just the LA teams in general. I mean, between them, the Rams and the the Chargers, they're almost like in this triad, if you will, just in terms of different coaches going places, different players. Obviously, Eric Kendricks now being here in LA, and you know, not looking like he's going to play. Didn't practice again yesterday. We'll see about that tomorrow. Uh, or today or tomorrow. But um, yeah, it, it's so fun how much they're tied and it just makes
1: that much more fun on Sundays. Uh, speaking of that defense for the chargers, you mentioned uh, they've given up a lot of points. Their pass defense is a mess. They've allowed the most passing yards of any team in the NFL entering week three. They have 10 quarterback pressures on the season. Uh, you kind of mentioned a little bit kind of what's happened to that chargers defense under Brandon Staley, but this might be a shootout type of game where Justin Herbert can take advantage of the Vikings. Kirk Cousins can take advantage of the Chargers. You know, how much is that aerial attack going to play when it comes to who wins this game on Sunday? So this Chargers defense is like a, a tale of three seasons, really. Like
2: it's it, They can never just put it all together. And in Staley's kind of first year and a half, it was the run defense that was abysmal. I mean, they were dead last in run defense. Um, and then at the end of his first year, they improved finally on that. Um, but the pass defense was, was okay. And then last year it was like, okay, then the, the, the run defense got a lot better. The pass defense started to drift off, but still wasn't bad. Like was okay. And then now so far this year, the run defense has actually been really solid. I think they held, um, Derek Henry had like 25 carries and only 80 yards. So I mean, they did, they did their job against Derek Henry, but the the pass defense was just like, here, whoever wants it, take it. Like, we're not going to stop you. And, you know, not to get too in, in, in depth and bore your audience, but what the Chargers are doing right now is you have Jossier Taylor is kind of your starting, is your true starting corner. He's going to play, I think, the star position this Sunday. And then you have three guys kind of vying for two spots they've been testing out. JC Jackson coming back from that gruesome injury. It's a miracle he's even on the field, but he's been, you know, working his way back in. Asante Samuel Jr. And Mike Davis. And so they've been kind of doing this rotation through these first two weeks. And I think in professional sports you kind of need that lather and that continuity of just knowing it's your job and go get it every week this isn't college where you can do a two quarterback system right you can't rotate the offensive line out every play usc right now is doing like a nine-man offensive line rotation just to kind of figure out their their starting five like you don't do that in the nfl you need that that continuity that consistency and so i'm not saying that's the the only reason for their struggles, but I know you laughed. I know Minnesota's probably doing that too, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but go but <ahead. laughs> you look at the Chargers secondary doing this rotation, and you look at that play in Tennessee where Traylon Burks gets that 70-yard touchdown pass. You could tell it was a total miscommunication. Whoever was supposed to be covering either thought he was supposed to have someone over the top of safety or thought he was playing quarters or just didn't have the right coverage. So is that a coaching clarity issue? Is that a Brandon Sealey and Derek Ansley issue of relaying the right play call? Or is it just too much of a rotation and guys not being in there consistently knowing what their job is? You know, it's probably a combination of both, as as most things are. But I think in order for this defense to get fixed, specifically the secondary, they need to pick their three starters and, and roll with it, at least for a whole game, and then make a, a decision to change after the game, if need be. So I think your question was, can they slow this offense down? I don't know if they will, but that's the only way that I think they have
1: an opportunity to at least slow the bleeding a little bit. And one of the players that could benefit from that leaky pass defense is a guy that you're probably familiar with Jordan Addison, the Vikings first round pick. Uh, I talked about him a little bit on Monday that currently, and again, it's two games, but he is on pace for a thousand yard season. He's been getting open, uh, has a couple of touchdowns in his first two games. You know, are you surprised with the immediate success that Jordan Addison has had so far in the NFL and what makes him such a great player that he can get open deep in the way that maybe somebody at like Adam Thielen could not last year. Yeah. I'm not surprised at all. Um, I really want the chargers to take him at
2: 21. They go Quentin Johnston. And then, uh, the Vikings are able to get him right after that. And who Quentin Johnson, I think is gonna be a great player here. Uh, once he gets more involved, but yeah, Addison, not surprised. Uh, an electric player had a, a great one year season with USC, obviously won the Blitnikoff at Pittsburgh, but I think what makes him so special is he's so dedicated to his craft. And he's like, he doesn't get, I know he had the the speeding thing in the offseason or whatever, but you know, overall he's very just, he's business first football first. I remember talking to him at USC media day and, and the way he answers questions is, you know, some people can misconstrue it as kind of like rude and cagey. I just saw it as like, this guy is just focused on football. Like, I don't care about all the other noise. You ask him a question, I'm going to answer you point blank, but I'm not going to like fluff it up and sugarcoat it and be all like friendly and whatnot because I'm just focused on ball. And so I think his dedication to that has certainly helped him. In terms of just football talent, he plays way faster than he looks. I know when he ran his 40 time, there's a lot of concern about his speed and I was I was pounding the tail. I'm like, guys, this guy can run past guys. I don't care what his 40 time is. It's the most overblown stat in all of and all of you know, draft, uh, draft, uh, tech nerds that want to talk about. I watched him blow past guys all season long at USC, and sure enough, what did he do? Third nine touchdown in week one, what, 65 or something in week two? So mm-hmm. the dude can flat out run when he's on the field and pads and run past guys. And part of that is he has the speed and that gear, but he's such a good route runner, which is so dangerous being paired with Justin Jefferson. It's unbelievable. Such a good route runner that he can run that that skinny post and then just cut it up with a quick little jab step and then he just totally eludes the defender and kind of gets the the safety sitting and so that's how he's been able to get open so I think he's just tactically so much smarter than a lot of defenders and which is what makes him so good and which is why he's gotten off to such a quick start just in two weeks
1: the last thing I want to talk about with this game is the offensive lines because they also feel like mirror images. The Chargers have a little bit of a weakness in the interior. And then there's the Vikings, who um, they might as well play with two guys on the offensive line on Sunday, because that is basically where we're at. Uh, like we said, they signed Reisner on Monday. Christian Darisaw is nursing an ankle injury. Garrett Bradbury is still out with a back injury suffered on the seventh play of the season. It feels like everything is like stoppable force against movable object in this game where mm-hmm. it comes to pass defense, run defense, offensive lines, defensive lines. Um, you know that this
2: is going to be a wild game, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: You know, when you, when you look at just the
1: trenches,
2: this is where the Chargers should have the upper hand. Um, the defensive line Was unable to get any pressure on Tua in week one. Only, I don't even know how many pressures, but no sacks. And then last week against the Titans, they kind of came to life. You know, Joey Bosa got in the stack call and Tui Tui Pelotu, another rookie out of USC, has been tremendous for this team. Yeah, he's taken on different stunt blocks. It has freed up Bosa on the same side. Um, Your inside guys in in Seabass and Austin Johnson have been solid. So the defensive line and just the front seven in general should have their way against this Vikings front, as you mentioned. On the offensive side, I don't think they've necessarily totally lived up to their potential, but there's the offensive line of this charge team is a strong point. When you look at Slater and Pipkins on the edges, and then you look at Johnson and Salier as guards, and Corey Lindsey is still one of the top centers in the game, certainly have a ton of talent and continuity that they've built very quickly. I think, honestly, if we're just going to call a spade a spade, I think the Titans have a really good front really good front and i think they were able to you know jeffrey simmons is one of the most underrated defensive linemen, i think in all of football or at least doesn't get talked about enough and so i think they just mono mono the titans just beat him on some plays but i think overall that the chargers offensive line is a very good front they're going to get better as the season progresses you know salier going from tackle to guard and, um, and so just kind of getting that continuity there, but I think they'll be, they'll be fine.
1: Yeah. It's kind of the same vibe. The Vikings have uh, been in uh, getting Tampa Bay, a very strong front in week one, and then getting Philly's front in week two. Yeah. Those aren't exactly great matchups. Uh, we also talked a little bit about the running game too. Vikings have questions on their end. You guys have some questions on yours with Austin Eckler's ankle. Uh, he did not practice on Wednesday, uh, We're recording this at one 30 central time. So I believe practice has not happened in LA yet. Uh, what do you think? You think Eckler is going to play? And if he doesn't, can John Kelly take advantage of this Vikings defense that basically got gored for over 200 yards on the ground last Thursday?
2: Yeah, you would hope, you know, I, I would say it doesn't feel likely. Eckler plays, which pains me because he's on my dynasty team and I need him to get back in there. But, you know, anytime the coach says there's no timetable for return, that's usually not a good sign. Now they haven't put him on IR yet. Um, but usually, you know, maybe it's Brandon Staley being a little more cagey now and being sick of the media and all their questions, but usually they'll give us an answer like, yeah, he's getting close or we're, we're happy with his progress or that. But when you just kind of flat out say there's no timetable, usually he's not playing this week. And so as of Wednesday, like you said, didn't practice, Um Thursday we'll see. And I can even shoot you a message if he does or whatever. But um yeah, doesn't look likely. Joshua Kelly is fully capable. They didn't utilize him as much as I would have liked last week. I think they they went to the pass game a little more than I would have liked to see with how well they ran the ball in week one, you know, over 20 yards rushing. And obviously Eckler is a part of that. Uh, but Joshua Kelly is fully capable to run the rock. You know, the one question I have, and this is just more hypothetical because I don't know why you would know, but I don't know either. Is I don't know if Isaiah Spiller did something to this coaching staff or this, this organization, but drafted last year out of Texas A&M, has looked good in camp. Last year, rookie year, maybe it was just more of a learning curve thing, but this offseason I thought looked really good, got some play in week one, and then had, I think, one carry last week. And you have Elijah Dotson, the undrafted guy out of Northern Colorado, getting more touches than big Isaiah Spiller. So, that's the big kind of mystery out here is, is if Eckler can't go, you would think it would be a Joshua Kelly, Isaiah Spiller show. Um, it just has been the case, but you know, you would hope this offense can get the running game back to where it was in week one against this Vikings team that certainly gave up yards in their two previous matchups.
1: You know, it's a funny story. Actually. Uh, my friend is in, I let wound up leaving a dynasty league and like, when you're not in a dynasty football league, you just kind of let a lot of stuff like kind of get past you. Whereas, you know, yeah. you have to pay attention to that stuff. So my friend's like, well, who do I cut? And he's like, what about Isaiah Spiller? I'm like, I'd keep him around. I like him. He's he's explosive. He's great. He's like, no, he's like the four-string running back right now. Like, he's behind Joshua Kelly and someone else. I'm like, what? what the? How the hell does that work? I, I don't know if it's like, you know, full circle, if it was a, like a Cam Akers thing where – he just didn't want to do what the coaching staff wants out of him, or what. But he was a very talented back out of Texas A and M, and somebody that I thought would have a big role in the Chargers' offense by now. Yeah, and he certainly—he
2: has a bigger body, so he kind of gives that that offensive dimension they don't have. You know, Joshua Kelly plays big, and he can be a bruising back, but he's not necessarily a a big bruising back like you know Isaiah Spiller is a much bigger guy. So it's interesting. It's—I haven't heard any reports about bad behavior or anything like that and i don't want to definitely don't want to assume or put that on him but it's just strange that yeah he can't get on the field especially when eckler's out you would think all right this is your opportunity
1: all righty so now that we have all the information in front of us it's time for one of my favorite parts of the show the predictions what is your prediction on sunday when two zero and two teams collide at U.S. Bank Stadium,
2: oh man! So yesterday on on caller's podcast, I I didn't give a score, but I actually predicted the Vikings to win. Um, I just I thought you know they've been very close. They've played a very tough schedule overall, or at least against Philly last week. Um, not really Tampa Bay, but Tampa Bay's two zero, so we'll give them some credit there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I think they they have a little more continuity maybe with what they want to do in terms of offense. And the Chargers, you know, I think are a lot of excitement around Kellen Moore, but they're still learning things. However, after 24 hours, I think I'm going to flip a little bit. I think I'm going to pick the Chargers in this game just because for whatever reason, the Chargers sometimes play better on the road. And U.S. Bank is such a tough stadium to play in. It gets so loud in there. I love the Skull chant, one of my favorite things out there. But for whatever reason, the Chargers seem to play a little better when when the lights are on, when they're on the road, when the noise is against their backs are against the wall. And, you know, I think that they're like both these teams, I think both have a lot to prove when you look at the trajectory of kind of where these teams need to be, you might disagree, but I think the chargers, in my opinion, have it more up against them being in the AFC, specifically the AFC West. I think when you look at the NFC in particular, the quarterback play, and even in your division, when you look at, you know, green Bay is a cool story. I don't think they're going to be long-term. Great. The bears are obviously a mess. Any Viking fans out there, just be happy. You're not a bears fan. And then Detroit, I think is the favorite, but I mean, they're and one So when you look at the AFC, you still got Mahomes. The Broncos are going to get better. I know they're 0-2. They're going to get better. You got Josh Allen. You got Joe Burrow. You got all these guys. And so they need it more to get back on track because if you drop 0-3, I mean, you're not getting the playoffs in the AFC being, you know, less than 10 wins. So I'll take the Chargers, but it's close. I'll go. Do you want to score?
1: Yeah, go. If you got a score in mind, fire it off. Let's
2: go. I mean, I don't think these defenses either are going to be stopping much, uh, especially if it goes to an all-air
1: assault. So we'll go, we'll go 34-31 Chargers. Okay. 34-31 Chargers. I I like that. And You know, just listening to you, I'm kind of going on the fly here because I I, I don't know what to expect on Sunday. Like, these two teams, this I mean, you're probably not a pro wrestling fan, but this is like the rock and stone cold of, like, teams that just have weird games. Like, they're just staring at each other in the middle of the wearing, and I don't know if it's going to be a double doink. I don't know if it's going to be an interception. I don't know if it's going to be another lost fumble because the Vikings have lost all seven fumbles in their first two games, which is ridiculous. But, like, the Vikings... We know that when they get in this position, when they get in this 0-2 position, they just have this gravitational pull to 500. I don't know if it's Kirk Cousins. I don't know if it's like Vikings juju or what. Like, they always find a way to make their way back. Even in 2020, they start 1-5. They finish the year at 7-9. And I, I think at one point, they were in a playoff spot late in the year. Like, that's just how this team operates. That being said, you know, the holes on this team even with the free agent signing of Dalton Reisner, even with the trade for Cam Akers, there are still huge problems. I could not name a defensive lineman on the Vikings right now. It is a no-name group. You got Harrison Phillips and you got, what, Kyrus Tonga. You got uh, Jonathan Bullard. Like, uh, that's not like me being poor research. That's just the nature of the situation. They're switching in a lot of young players. Marcus Davenport didn't practice on Wednesday because of his ankle, and he did not play against Philadelphia because of his ankle. I think the Vikings have enough to stay in this game. But with the injuries along the offensive line, because Christian Darrisaw was limited, he's not going to be 100% with that ankle. You know, I don't know what they're going to do with Reisner, whether they're going to throw him in right away, or if they're just going to use Ed Ingram another game. If that's the latter, um, that's a problem. I think this game gets weird. I think this game has a lot of points. So I'm going to pick the Chargers, and I'm going to pick the Vikings to fall to 0-3. And I'm going to go... 38 37. I think it's mm. going to be some kind of weird game, maybe decided by a field goal at the horn. Um, I am preparing for just something batshit crazy on Saturday or on Sunday. So that's that's pretty much what we got. <laughs>
2: yeah, I like it. I mean, it should be a great game either way. If, if the Vikings do pull it off, it's going to be Kirk Cousins plays out of his mind and Kevin O'Connell knowing. Brandon Staley, as well as he does, is able to game plan on offense that just continues to exploit his defense. So, I mean, that's what it's going to come down to.
1: All righty. So kind of wrapping up here, you got the L.A. football podcast. Uh, Minnesota fans might have a little bit more vested interest here uh, within a year or so with USC moving to the Big Ten. So, and UCLA actually. So what do you got going on at the LA football podcast right now? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's,
2: it's, it's crazy LA football network. We, we just covered the four teams as you alluded to and always a lot going on. It's a lot of coverage. I was just on a call with Lincoln Riley on, on, for his Thursday presser was at practice yesterday. Um, and then obviously with our Chargers, Rams and and UCLA is traveling to Utah this week for a big Pac-12 matchup, so uh, a lot of fun, and uh, it's it's been growing. And you know we're excited on the collegiate side. We're excited to be in the Big Tw- uh, Big Ten, so it's going to be a a fun next year playing these Big Ten schools and welcome welcoming these
1: schools into the Rose Bowl and into the Colley out here in LA. It should be a good time. I'm still having the slight hesitation when I see it on NCAA 14, because, you know, you can, I don't know if you're a gamer or have ever played, but you could flip all the conferences around and it's like USC, Ohio State. Oh yeah, that's a conference matchup now. That's, that's, that's weird. I mean, it's exciting, but it's also very strange to see that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's weird. And then you got Stanford and Cal going to the ACC. Like, okay, that
1: makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Stanford Clemson going to be an absolute banger, man. Oh Um, yeah. Can't wait. Where can people follow you on social media as well?
2: Yeah, so on uh, Twitter or X, I'm uh, Ryan Dirude L-A-F-B. And then our main channels are just all L-A-F-B network. So really easy to find.
1: Awesome. Well- Nice to meet you, Ryan and thank you for coming on. But that is all the time we have for the Viking Age podcast today. We do this every Monday and Thursday right here on the Viking Age YouTube channel. But we are also in podcast form the next day. And don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And we can spread the word to everyone out there. For Ryan Dirude, I am Chris Shad, and we'll talk to you next time on Viking Age Podcast.